0: Before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know that there is still time for you to join us inside of the Next Level Club before the end of the year. We've got one more intake where we're welcoming new members into the Next Level Club who want to not only finish the year strong, but also want to start 2023 with momentum, with a game plan, with a really clear strategy for how to kick their revenue goals. If that sounds like you, if you're a creative service provider earning $5,000 a month or more right now and you're ready for your next level, then send me a DM on Instagram at Lala Social Club. Send me a DM with the words next level and we'll send you all of the details. There is only one more intake for the rest of the year, so make sure if you've wanted to do this, jump in now. Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people you'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can build your dream business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Well, hello there and welcome back to My Business Playbook. It is so, so good to be with you. Today is a very special episode. We are joined by Lisa Gorman. Yes, Lisa Gorman, the founder of Gorman, the incredible Australian women's lifestyle and clothing brand. Now with 50 plus stores across Australia and New Zealand, Gorman is all about print and colour and collaborative projects and Lisa is the mastermind behind that business. Now today is really special because we're going to be diving into Lisa's startup journey and the pivotal moments in the growth of Gorman, how she's scaled without losing her creativity. And we're also going to dive into her number one piece of advice for creative entrepreneurs. You're also going to get a sneak peek into what Lisa is working on now. And let me tell you, it is wonderful. It is creative. It's colorful. It's bright. It's all the things you would expect. Lisa is a unicorn and it was my privilege to have her on the show. I know you're gonna love this episode, so make sure uh, you listen in and make sure you message Lisa and let her know that you've listened to it because I know that she would love that too. All right, let's dive in to my conversation with the wonderful Lisa Gorman. Well, Lisa, I am so excited to be chatting with you. We met at the Huddle in Orange, and it would have been in. Was that in March of this year? I think so. I think it was in March. And you were just glorious. You spoke at the event as well. And straight away, I was like, oh my gosh, we need to get Lisa on the podcast. You are, I feel like you have this thing here in Australia because you've built Gorman, such an incredible brand you kind of have this iconic status and you, I know you wouldn't say that or think that, but you do. And I feel like, you know, your journey will inspire so many of our listeners, not just your journey with Gorman, but what you're doing now. And so I really want to dive in and talk through, you know, you've been in
1: business for how long? 22 years is it? Yes, Gorman. Um, I founded a Gorman brand in, back in 1999, <laughs> the 90s. Yes, the 90s. So tell us about how you started Gorman. So that was a, a less orthodox um, entry into the world of fashion, actually. I, um, I went to school in Warrnambool and when I finished high school, um, I went off, um, I came up to Melbourne and, and became a nurse. I did my registered nursing and I had wanted to work in the fashion industry since I was a kid, since I was a girl, you know, on the sewing machine with the Barbie dolls and my sisters and making dresses and all that stuff. But, um, it just seemed like a, a difficult career path and, Not that many people I know of had kind of gone into the fashion industry from Warrnambool. So it was fairly, um, you know, it was sort of uncharted territory, I suppose. So I did my nursing and then I ended up deciding to undertake a retail traineeship with a bridal couturier, Mariana Hardwick. And that was really just my entry into the industry. So I went off to retail school. I was working as a nurse part-time. And then I was at retail school a couple of days a week. And then I was working uh, for Mariana in retail. So eventually um, I learned, you know, the ropes with her. And over the course of a couple of years, I ended up working as her um, head designer. That all happened in the space of about um, probably about six years. I went from retail into visual merchandising, into design Um and so that that gave me my education. There was some really amazing
0: yeah.
1: tailors working in that business, uh, and very very hands on. So it was made to, it was a made to measure couture business. So quite different to um, what Gorman is, but the skills that I learnt there were <laughs> yeah. not able to be learnt anywhere else. I don't think for me.
0: Yeah. You started with Mariana Hardwick. You quickly kind of figured out, "Oh, okay, this is something that I really like." Fast forward to you launching Gorman. What was that process like? Because I know you opened a shop really quickly. You had all hands on deck, like, you know, doing your fit-out in Fitzroy. What was that process like from "Okay, I I think I should do my own brand to Oh my gosh, I think I've got a fit out and I
1: think I've got a label and I think I'm actually doing this yeah that was um so in my in my sort of um latter years at Mariana Hardwick I started creating more of my own product and I was always quite hands-on with sewing and the sewing machine and I would still make a lot of clothes and I was sharing a house with the girls that founded Fat 52 for those of you that Um, old enough to know Fat 52 it was an amazing (laughs) multi-branded concept store in Fitzroy so I would I I created a collection and I started wholesaling from from 1999 and that really expanded quite quickly there was a very healthy Australian design scene Uh, there were stores like Subway DC in um, Perth there was Alice Euphemia in Melbourne Um, There were several stores in Melbourne, VAT, as I mentioned, and they were really keen to uptake young Australian designer fashion, which was a great platform for launching. So I wholesaled for a few years and then I thought, well, is this a business? I don't have any staff. I'm still working out of my bedroom. You know, it seems to be ramping up. I think I had 53 wholesale accounts at that point. So I took on a lease for my office and I employed one person and I started to back down on my other two roles in nursing and as designer for Mariana to give Gorman a bit more time. Uh, And then that sort of, I I was very hesitant to open the first retail store because every major step like renting an office, employing a staff member, those kind of commitments that you just can't wiggle out of easily. So I was just hesitant about business. I wasn't hesitant about creating product. I love that. But the business side of things really scared me. And I didn't want to find myself in a pickle where I had overheads that were not going to be possible for me to sustain because I'd kind of, you know, um, changed my mind about what I was, you know, wanting to do creatively. But after five years of wholesaling, I ended up um, opening the first Gorman store, which was in Chapel Street, Paran, closely followed by Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. And once I had one open, um, it all sort of rolled out pretty quickly from there um, to, to three stores. And then eventually, yeah, fast forward another <laughs> 20 years' time and then there, by then I think now there's there's 52 stores.
0: And the thing that I, I feel like in your journey, and and maybe it's the breadth of time, but it, it just feels like, for you, there seemed like, the, and I, I know maybe you just make it look like this, but there seemed like this effortless kind of vibe to it. Is that just how it looked? Or did you feel like once you were in your kind of zone, you were like, no, 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 this is, I'm doing what I'm good at. I've got other people helping me with what I'm not good at. What what was that kind of like for you? Well,
1: I, first of all, I take that as um, I'm very flattered, <laughs> if that's how it looked on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it sort of uh, yeah. That's that's funny that you say that because that's not how I felt most of the time. <laughs> I felt that um, <laughs> yeah. I felt that you know, and this came about particularly um, in the past fifteen years of, the, of my time in the brand was the collaborative process was so important for me, um, and I was never short of ideas. That's something that I haven't struggled with, um, and I suppose. Ultimately, that that kind of was the essence of having, you know, a variety of um, offerings coming and going at any one time. I, I would get very excited about um, what it was we had coming up, what what it was we had in now, and what I'd learnt from um, from previously. So, once I got a bit of a structure under my belt, I did find it easier to focus predominantly on the creative. The business side of things in the first seven years of my business was I found quite difficult. You know, I, I was growing a, a brand. I was at the size where it's hard to employ people that are um, really highly skilled or highly knowledgeable but it's almost that that's the time of your business that you need them more than anything. So, yeah, and then I had a couple of kids in that, in those first seven years of business as well. Um, so that that's another element for many uh, women in business and men is you know the arrival of kids yeah. in conjunction with a growing business, um, increased overhead, um, more time required to spend on what you're doing. But I felt like you know you you can you can get over that hump because some of these things you know are transient. You know, kids grow up, they go to school, time. Is more available again, you know. In some respects, that does change um, a bit depending on their age. They yeah. have different, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. They they yeah. seem to be taking a lot of time, no matter what age they are. But I think that's part of being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you do do get to a point where you can acquire some better knowledge in the business, and there are hurdles are different at different times. But um, once I got into a routine and a swing of, you know, uh, exploring creative ideas within the business and working with a load of different artists and businesses and designers and um, community groups through collaboration, I found that the fulfilment from doing that for not only myself um, in terms of sharing ideas and presenting and creating um collections that were, you know, collaborative also really inspired my staff, um, really inspired those that we were working with and brought a lot to the Gorman customer that they may not otherwise have delved into or experienced or explored some of the artists that we worked with um, had those collaborations not taken place. So it's sort of the sharing of knowledge, really, that, that, sort of, I guess, really created uh, what we could produce and send out and give give to the customer in terms of a product and a story. Um, I, I really thrive on that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the collaboration side of things was
1: like something that energised you in the business. Mm. I think that I naturally want to be a bit sort of, Adventurous and explorative, in more than just one medium and one space, and I probably realise that more now since I've I've departed my role in the business, in the Gorman brand, because I'm I'm finding that you know the the collaborative experience gave me opportunities to work with um, different mediums, and even though what I was presenting to the customer was fundamentally an apparel or a homewares collection. You know, there were times when I was working with like wood turners, um, creating, you know, candle, candelabras, for example, Um, you know, there was, I've worked with artists um, using ceramics. Um, It's not always just been, you know, paintings or graphic work that's been transpired into textiles. There's a lot of other mediums in there, you know, Um, A good example is the Melbourne Museum. Uh, When we worked with them on their gem archive, you know, I spent days down underneath their archive at the Melbourne Museum and this place was extraordinary, not for just what was hiding in those thousands of drawers but just the smell of the place and its age and its relevance and history and, you know, all those things came together to inspire what that collection ultimately looked like and I love that. I love the opportunity that it provided me to really delve into other, you know, both creative, science, social, you know, sectors of the community.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And I feel like for anyone listening, you know, the power of collaboration is so important in building a brand and building a business. And I feel like it's not just something that can build more brand awareness for your brand, but it's actually something that can Really shine a light on other brands as well, which I feel like you've done super well. Like you've been able to get behind causes that you're that you're really passionate about, and using the business to really highlight those th- those causes and the you know initiatives that you really care about as
1: well. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, it's interesting where you can take collaboration. Really, and and to the you mm. can tell it's one of my very passionate topics because I can't keep talking about it. But yeah, um, the, <laughs> thing, the thing that I found particularly in my last um, few years in Gorman Brand, I found that I was really extending the reach of the collaboration, not particularly to our consumer, but within communities of people I was working with. Um, the example would be, say, the Arts Project Australia collaboration, which was work that I was doing with um, a group of disabled artists, predominantly intellectually um, neurodiverse. And yeah. that project really shone a light on how far it could extend into their community, regardless of the artworks that I was you know, using in the collections. For example, um, Eden one of the artists, she works in video art and makeup. So she pretty much took the reins on the creative direction for um, the campaign and for the photo shoot. And, you know, I stepped back and and let her take that. And that was an incredible process um, and I think allows a much deeper engagement with both their art centre and their community as well as our consumer. So it's really thinking about the reach that your projects can take um, that are beyond just um, product and marketing.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. I think that is such a great way to think about it, that it's not just about, well, what does this mean for me and my brand or my business? It's actually, what does this mean on a community level as well? I think that's so powerful to think about.
1: There's a lot of messages that can come through that. And it's, it's there, it's available, and it's also something that gives, um, you know, the fashion industry. To, it, it, in, in my experience, it gave, it gave the Gorman brand, it just gave it a different dimension and another element that's, yeah, beyond the commercial, which is, is very rewarding. Um, and why not, you know? Mm, totally.
0: So, Lisa, you've had 22 years in business. You're bound to have some, you know, moments that you were like, that's like the, the highs, right? Like the, the really great moments and those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, this is hard. Mm. What would you say are the top three moments you look back on throughout your whole journey? And you think that was a pivotal moment for me
1: and for the business, like particular milestones for you? I would have to say that, I didn't realise it at the time, but one of my very first products that I created were the fishing pants. And I ran them for for years and ran many pairs of those fishing pants, but they were one of the, I think (laughs) they they were the first product. And it's just so crazy thinking back now that um, like that's a bit of a needle in a haystack situation to create a product when you don't even have a brand and really you only need to do one item. (laughs) that pretty much kickstarts the rest of it. So that was definitely a pivotal moment, be it very early um, in in the brand's days. But I think that that worked. It was driven out of, you know, me being inspired by, you know, the classic original version but tweaking and updating and reworking them to, you know, um, make that style a bit more wearable and, um, you know, sit it more in a fashion context Uh, but yeah, I had no idea that that was going to be the thing that, and that allowed me to run the business without any overheads because it was one product. So I could sort of keep the stock, you know, in boxes in a corner at home and I didn't need to be working on them very often because really once I would designed them and I wanted to rerun them in a new color, I can arrange that, you know, without sort of quitting my day job, so to speak. Um, Yes. So that was quite a moment actually and then I think after that a little bit of time goes by but opening my first retail store, I remember actually I was discussing this yesterday with um, with Joseph who is installing uh, my sculpture exhibition um, which is coming up this week. But I was saying to him that it reminded me a little bit of the time when I saw the first Gorman sign go up on the first Gorman store And I think I was exhausted, so I was probably a bit emotional. (laughs) I'd been in the store with my parents and my friends and my God knows my cousins, whoever, helping me, like, fit this shop out. It was purple. The whole thing needed to be painted white. It was called the Purple Shop before Gorman (laughs) took it over. (laughs) (laughs) So you can imagine. It had, like, it was very crystal and purple. So I saw the sign go up and I remember standing on Chapel Street in, like, painting overalls. Um, covered in sort of, you know, plaster dust. And I think, you know, I, I had a little tear in the eye at that point and it was quite a nice moment because my parents were there with me as well and I, I would have been, I don't know, I was probably, I must have been getting close to was late 20s, early 30s and, of course, that's my my parents' surname as well. So we had like a little, you know, high five on Chapel Street and wow that was a really nice um, time for me there as well. And they'd been so helpful in yeah. supporting me in my business that it was like it was just a little glory moment right there. Yeah. Um, and then another moment I think was probably my um, my visit to Fitzroy Crossing to undertake the Munkajar collaboration with um, five artists in the community up there. That was a really amazing experience to be on country with the artists, um, with First Nations people and be allowing them to guide that process of that campaign, um, to be on country with us and, you know, to have one of their own models modeling the collection. Their artists were out with us while we were shooting. You know, we spent a lot of time in the art center, a lot of time talking and learning about um, this country in that in that collaboration for me personally um, and bringing a lot of that through, um, through the work and celebrating those artists, um, you know, in their own right. And I feel like it's
0: so um, kind of beautiful that your journey, you know, starting in fashion and you've done this huge journey with Gorman, building the brand, and now you've like officially kind of exited the business and now you're about to release your own, kind of collection as an artist. Did you ever think when you started Gorman that you would be, you know, you you had done all these collaborations with artists, but did you ever think one day I'm going to do my own
1: collection? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm still a bit, I, I, um, yeah, I, I'm still a bit sort of self-conscious about using the title artist, I think um and I don't know why that is I think art design design art you know one and all really it's it's all in the eyes of the viewer I suppose or the eyes of the creator or the title that one might want to give to oneself but they're so interchangeable these days I've always um been known as a designer I suppose for the for the last few decades and you know I don't sit and think too long about whether I'm an artist or a designer or really what that is but I didn't, this project has been one that I've had in mind for probably at least five years. And I've always had a love for, you know, a neon color and an acrylic material, which is kind of ironic considering how sort of stiff and hard it is compared to textiles. But I'll come back to that because the work is um, based on my inspiration through working with textiles for, for so long. Um, But the medium has certainly changed. But as to whether I thought that this would be something I'd be doing when I um, wrapped up my Gorman role, I didn't know what exactly it was going to be that I would do, but I knew that there were other creative pursuits that I had sort of hidden within me that would be hard to release until um, I'd sort of put that chapter to bed, so to speak. And it was a long chapter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Gorman chapter, and it goes on. You know, the brand is the brand is is definitely um, you know well set up, and designers that i would worked with for a very long time are, are, are steering the ship. So this for me, um, yeah, this is a completely different thing. You know, it's very personal. It's not something that you know I thought, well, I'll sit down and do this and turn it into a business whatsoever. First and foremost, I wanted to explore a new creative avenue, um, and and yeah. and so and so it is. It's there. It's done, and it's being hung in a gallery today. <laughs> it's
0: incredible. And before we hit record, we were chatting about how when we met at the huddle, you were like, you know, I'd like to kind of explore this kind of sculpture thing, and you know, a few months later, you're like, great. Yeah. Here's the exhibition. Here's what's happening. Like it's, it's, it's here. And I feel like for anyone listening who gets caught in that analysis paralysis of like, no, I couldn't possibly put myself out there. I couldn't possibly start something like people know me as this over here, but they couldn't possibly know me as also this. How do you, you know, what would you say to someone who feels like, a, I have to have it perfect before I begin. And B, I can't evolve from what I'm known for. I like I don't know how to evolve from where I currently am to really what I see in myself and and the things that I want to
1: explore like you've done. Well, I think it's healthy to evolve. I think that that is healthy and I think that their stagnancy is um it's not good for creativity and creative beings are not always necessarily creating in the one practice so to speak and i think that mm. now more than ever as time's gone by it's completely acceptable to be exploring many different creative avenues and different platforms and in fact, one supports the other and supports the next and supports the next. The inspiration that can come out of one medium or or practice definitely will inspire and um, help create other things that you do. So they're, they're interlinked. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, in my experience, yes, it is a little bit... Um, you know, you're putting yourself out there all over again. It can be a bit nerve-wracking because there are preconceived ideas of what you do and who you are, but there's also nothing more exciting than sort of breaking that, breaking that mould, I think, in my experience. I felt like sometimes, especially the fashion industry, which is very cyclic and very routine in terms of it's, you know, we do a collection every eight weeks, um, it's this size, we sell it in these locations to these people, um, that can become really routine. Even though the product itself changes, um, particularly in my case because the collaborating artists changed all the time, which is what really kept me going for that long, I think. I, I think I would have struggled somewhat to have maybe had to create constantly without inspiration from other people being the collaborating artists and my team. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just see it as an extension of, of what I've done before. And, you know, it, it's for anyone else that does want to sort of spread their creative wings, people love it. They want to know what you're doing. I think you should not suppress that. And, you know, I started with ceramics probably, I don't know, maybe about... Ten years ago, I started sort of getting my hands into the clay, and I think that that's because you know the larger a fashion business grows, the harder it is to keep your hands, you know, in the ingredients sometimes. And um, you know, I found found myself in a in a business model where there are many different people touching the product between concept and reaching the consumer. And that's, that's fine. That's how that industry works. And that's how product is created and, and delivered and experienced, um, you know, right through its sort of lifespan. But there was, I've always had a need to um, have my hands completing creative ideas Mm -hmm. to some extent. And I think that that's what's brought me back to um, a project that you know, they are, are one-of-a-kind pieces, they're one-ofs. And I remember yeah. when I was taking myself into the fashion industry, my hesitancy somewhat was around the multiples of garments. I always treasured, you know, the, the process of creating that one sample and having one of it and getting it to a point where I was happy with it, where to me that was perfect, but something that, you know, has always sort of been difficult for me, I suppose, is when, um, when that, when that one sample turns into a rack of, um, you know, it it might come into the warehouse and and you see, I don't know, 50 of them. And this is talking, this is going back to right back when I started the business and I was only doing 50 units per style back in the fat 52 days. And even just in my own little office, seeing 50 of the one item, it sort of just somehow took the shine off it for me a little bit as the designer. And I know that that wasn't something that was greatly um, bothering the consumer um, because, you know, their experience with a product as a wearer is completely different to your experience with the product as the creator. They are different relationships with with a piece or a product so for me going back to doing something that is um you know one of a kind pieces you know it's it's slower it's not it's not as sort of um the demands that are you know that are placed on fashion brands um you know require you to to be quite productive and this is something that Whilst you think that it sounded like it's happened pretty quickly, Laura, for me it's felt like it's taken ages, but <laughs> uh, it isn't.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, that's that's really where I'm coming from with that. You know, and going through the proto phase, you know, these are this is the first time I've made this type of product. So the proto phase was really important for me. And, and there was a lot of, you know, engineering errors and mistakes and assumptions that I made um, creating something out of acrylic sheet that's rigid rather than you know, a, a drapey textile, you know, I can I can talk about a drape and a weave in a textile, you know, for days. Um, but in terms of using a really rigid fabrication in something that's st- structurally is quite different to apparel, it has been very new for me and, and really it's been really actually quite exciting.
0: It The idea of the one-of-a-kind thing, I think that really rings true for a lot of creatives who start something because they realize I'm good at this thing and people want this thing that I'm putting out there. And then, you know, there's this tipping point and I can imagine that that would have been kind of amplified times a thousand with Gorman, but there's this tipping point where you realize, oh, now I've got a, like I've got this secret source of this thing that that works, you know, the, the fisherman pants kind of thing. And then you realize, oh, now I'm not in the creative process as much as I am in the production and the delivery process. And it's such an interesting, you know, tension for creative people. My husband always laughs at me because I'm always like, you know, what can we be to be unique in this space? What can we be, you know, how can we be different? I want it to be, you know, expressive and and it's kind of like there's an element of yeah that's that's the magic of it and there's also this element of yeah but we've also got to get the things done to you know keep the lights on so it's such a tough you know line to kind of walk and I imagine like for you doing such a long time in in the business that would have been taxing at
1: times right yeah there's a lot there's a lot of balls in the air um as a creative, business person and you know that I learned quite I was given some good advice quite early on in that you know the parts of the business that you are not comfortable with or don't feel an affiliation with or are not drawn to get someone else to take care of that because creatives really do need space to create and I know a lot of creative people that run businesses Um, but often the downfall can be when there is not enough time to focus on Mm. what it is that you're creating, because that's the essence of the business. The business wouldn't be there without the creative, to be honest, if that's what drove the business to begin in the first place was an idea, a creative idea. And yeah, if it's not, you can't juggle all of those at all times, but it, it is taxing regardless. There's a lot of Pressure both from the consumer, from from you know, um, there's financial commitments, there's commitments towards employees, there's you know, like you say, you've you, you've got to keep the lights on, um, yeah. and once you get to a scale where, the, you know, the, the, there is a lot more of that at stake.
0: Yeah, because I I would feel you know, how many stores were there with Gorman by the time you had kind of gotten to the point where you were like, I need someone else to kind of be the CEO of this or kind of drive the business side of this so I can be the creative director. What was
1: the tipping point there? Well, it was, it came, there was a combination of things that happened. There was the birth of my second daughter. Um, there was three stores already running and another three signed up to start. Um mm. There was a GFC which came along all at that, that same time. And, yeah, that was emotionally, um, that was really, it was a really stressful time. And I was a bit like, mm, is this something that, you know, I really want to do anymore? Don't want to keep this rolling. It's a little bit hard to get out of it now. You know, I've got leases in place. And, um, yeah, so that that was the right time for me to take on um. Yeah. You know, partnership to actually manage some of those things. and and you know that is a different beast as well once um, partners become involved in any business. and that's an experience in itself. So mm. you know there there is definitely value in getting the right people into your business. Um, and it's something that you don't always you can't always plan for that ahead of time because you don't you don't know especially in your first business. I think also something that I would really recommend to people that are listening that are in a situation where they may be finding themselves in a growing business or would like to grow their business, there are plenty of channels out there where you can get advice and it it can seem quite costly when you're a small business to be taking um, consultants. Sometimes, you know, mentors are fantastic where you're not necessarily having to fork out the bucks. Um, people that are, you know, maybe at the latter end of some pretty great careers or have shifted careers or have been in your shoes before, you know, they're definitely great advice to have on side. But then there's also, you know, paid consultancies, whilst they seem expensive, sometimes they're they're, they're your best spent bucks. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just to get some clarity about where you are and what you might need um, to get you through some patches of growth. Mm -hmm. Because growth goes along and then it plateaus down a bit and then you'll find that the next little phase is a bit easier but then it hits a wall and, you know, it can change your product too. Growth can change what your product needs to be because suddenly you've got a lot more customers and therefore that's a lot higher percentage of a particular population and, you know, you can find that you're needing to meet the demands of the consumers as well. So, Yeah, a little bit of advice can go a long way when you're in the growth phase. I I totally agree, especially as a creative,
0: because you're right, like if we lose our little creative spark, we lose the essence of the business. And it's not just kind of living in a like, you know, off with the fairies all day, every day, kind of just being like, I just want to be creative. There is an element of like, you got to do the work and yeah keep the lights on kind of thing. But what would you say to someone for in your journey? I know that the collaborations was a big thing that helped you to stay energised, stay creative. What else do you think helped you to stay creative and stay kind of, you know, energised in
1: in that role even as the business was, was so big? I think getting away from the desk is really important. Um, you know, I would travel. Quite a lot and not necessarily on the usual buying rounds of designers that you know for inspirational trips um i would go to other places that weren't necessarily about retail or about you know um finding the latest product i think you've got to clear your head and you know you need space to do that um i would also do the opposite thing where i would you know, heavily involve the team and get their input and get their ideas. You know, it takes it takes a village sometimes, and um, listening to them is important. I yeah. think it's very important to listen to to the people that create alongside of you. Um, they were probably, you know, my two main triggers for keeping the spark alive. Um, but as I mentioned, yeah. you know, engaging in other creative projects outside of the business, that was really important for me.
0: Yeah. And Lisa, even chatting with you now, it makes me realise that the kind of extracurricular, in like little inverted commas, those creative things can actually feed into your creativity in your business. It doesn't have to necessarily be directly business-related. That's such a cool perspective. Now, final questions for you. Where can people, if people want to check you
1: out online, where's the best place to connect with you? So I'm launching my new um, my new uh, website. It's it's lisagorman.com.
0: Lisagorman.com. Amazing. Well, we'll pop that link into the show notes. You'd think that that wouldn't be too hard for me to remember, but um, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you for being so open and candid about your journey. It's so inspiring for me and for people in our community and so
1: many other women in business. So thanks so much for sharing. Thank you, Laura. It's so nice to chat with you again. Um, And thanks to anyone that's listening. Well, there you have it. That is the
0: play-by-play for this week. If you want to check out Lisa's work, head on over to Instagram and you can follow her there. Also head on over to our show notes and we've linked her website, we've linked her Instagram, we've linked all the things you need to know to check out her beautiful work as well. Alrighty, my friends, I hope that you have a wonderful week. I'll see you back here same time, same place next week. But in the meantime, go get them.